Chapter One of White Dandy, a horse's story, a companion book to Black Beauty. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. White Dandy, a horse's story, a companion book to Black Beauty by Velma Caldwell Melville. Chapter One. Master is Doctor Richard Wallace, and I am Dandy, the doctor's favorite horse. "'long-tried companion, and friend. "'Neither of us are as young as we once were, "'but time seems to tell less on us than on some others, "'though I have never been quite the same "'since that dreadful year that Master was out west. "'He often strokes my face and says, "'We're getting old, my boy, getting old, but it don't matter. "'Then I see a far-away look in the kind blue eyes, "'a look that I know so well, "'and I press my cheek against his, trying to comfort him.' I know full well what he is thinking about, whether he mentions it right out or not. Yes, I remember all about the tragedy that shaped both our lives, and how I have longed for intelligent speech, that I might talk it all over with him. He is sixty-two now, and I only half as old, but while he is just as busy as ever, he will not permit me to undertake a single hardship. Dr. Fred, his brother and partner, sometimes says, "'Don't be a fool over that old horse, Dick. "'He is able to work as any of us.' "'But the latter smiles and shakes his head. "'Dandy has seen hard service enough "'and earned a peaceful old age.' "'Fred sneers. "'He says he has no patience with Dick's nonsense. "'But then he was in Europe when the tragedy occurred, "'and besides I suppose it takes the romance and sentiment "'out of a man to have two wives, "'raise three bad boys, and bury one willful daughter, "'to say nothing of the grandson that he has on his hands now, "'and I might add further that he is a vastly different man from Dick anyway. "'It is a grand thing to spend one's life for others. "'That is what my master has done, and it is what we horses do. "'Of course he is looking forward to his reward,' but we are not expecting anything, though he insists that there will be a heaven for all faithful domestic animals. Fred says there is no Bible for it, but Dick says that they could not mention everything in one book. He says, too, that while he believes everything to be true that is in the Bible, at the same time he knows many things to be true that are not there. Then he tells about a good old minister, who, when asked to lend his influence in the organization of a society for the prevention of cruelty to animals, replied that if Paul had written a chapter on the subject, he would consider it worth his while to countenance the movement, but as he didn't, he must be excused. For the benefit of such men, Master says he wishes the Apostle had had time and inclination to write a chapter, and since he did not, with due reverence for Paul, it would have suited him better, and met a nineteenth-century need closer, if he had omitted suggestions on ladies' toilets, and dealt a few of his sledgehammer blows at the man who oppresses the defenceless. Of course I know nothing about such things myself, but Dr. Dick has always had a fashion of talking all sorts of things to me, and I have a retentive memory. But I must begin my story, for I have set out to give you a history of Master and I, and, incidentally, of many another man and beast. I will begin shortly after the tragedy. Maybe before I get through I will tell you about that, but today I do not feel equal to it. Poor master. Well, he came into my stall, where I had literally shivered with terror ever since that dreadful morning four days before, and throwing his arms about my neck, burst into tears. 
A long while he sobbed there, and then growing calmer he began caressing me and said, "'Dandy boy, you are going home with me, to live with me while I live, to walk beside my coffin, and to be shot beside my grave, if so be you outlive me.' Sad words, but they were a comfort to me, feeling as I did. Presently the boy came in, and groomed me until my snowy coat shone like silk. "'I hate to part with ye, Dandy, for a fact I do,' he said, standing off and looking me over. "'But then ye'd a gone anyhow, I suppose.' Then he put a halter on me, and led me out to where the doctor's horses were standing, hitched to a buggy, and tied me fast to the back. All the folks came out of the house, and surely they cried harder than on either of those other days, but the doctor— with his lips white and set close together, hurried into the buggy and, with a backward nod, drove off. I glanced back and neighed good-bye, then took up my journey with a heavy heart. I wanted to go, and yet I wanted to stay. Certainly it was not enlivening to have to watch my master's agony all that weary seventy miles to his home. Of course we stopped overnight, and my first night it was away from home, I assure you that I felt lonely and wretched enough. "'Give all my horses the best of care,' Master said to the hostler, "'especially the white one.' The man promised, and led us away. "'Don't suppose they're any better than other nags,' he muttered, the minute we were out of hearing, and he took us to the pump, tired and heated as we were, and gave us all the water we could drink. "'What would Dr. Dick say?' Queen, one of the span of bays, said, as we turned away. Of course the man did not understand, but thinking she was calling for more water, he pumped another pailful and offered it to her. In surprise she turned her head aside, which so angered him that he dashed the whole of the water right on to her. Then he led us into dark, dirty stalls, roughly removed the harness from the bays, and threw us some hay. When he was gone—at least we could not hear him— Queen said, "'I am all of a shiver. I believe it was the cold water inside and out. Dear me, I wish Master would come out.' "'So do I,' said Julie. "'One thing is sure, we will have to stand up all night. I can never lie down in this filthy place.' "'I don't think I could if I wanted to,' responded Queen. "'I am tied so short.' Meanwhile I was nosing the hay, but it smelled so musty, and something in it tickled my nostrils. Presently I asked them if they could eat it. "'Oh, yes,' Julie answered. "'If you are going to be a doctor's horse, you'll get worse than this.' Being pretty hungry, I nibbled away at it until a groan from Queen startled me. "'Ain't you any better?' queried Julie. "'No. I am shaking so I can hardly stand. How I do wish I had a blanket.' "'Wonder he don't see to rubbing us down,' I said. "'Rubbing us down?' Julie spoke with scorn. "'Unless Master comes out himself, as he generally does, there'll be no rubbing down to-night. About daylight they'll come around with an old curry-comb, and all but take the skin off us, along with the mud that will be formed out of the sweat and dust that ought to be rubbed off to-night.' "'Oh, I wish Master would come,' moaned Queen. "'I'm almost burning up now.' "'Got fever,' remarked her mate who seemed to have been around the world a good deal, and grown used to everything. After what seemed an age, a light flashed into the barn, and two strange horses were tied in the next stalls. The same man led them. After throwing them some hay, he came into my stall. 
"'Here, you fool, why don't you eat your hay, not muss over it?' he cried angrily, pushing it together with one hand, while with the other he dealt me a blow across the nose. It was the first blow that I had ever received, and it hurt me in more ways than one. Just then a boy came in with a peck measure of oats. "'There ain't none of these critters tetched their hay hardly, and their boss has gone to bed sick, so I guess we'll economize on the oats till morning. "'All right.' "'Humph,' said Julie. But Queen groaned, and I felt like it. Before morning of that wretched night I lay down. I could not help it. I was so tired, hungry, and sad. Sure enough, by daylight, or lantern-light in that windowless barn, the man and boy were at us with curry-combs, as if we had had no more feeling than barn-doors. Then we each had a meagre portion of oats. Julie and I ate ours readily enough, but poor Queen was too ill. When the man noticed this he swore a little, then lengthened her halter-strap, and ordered the boy to scatter some straw over the filth in all our stalls. By and by Master came out, looking wan and haggard in the dim light. "'Poor girl,' he said tenderly, running his fingers along the edge of Queenie's jaw to the pulse. "'Mercy, Queenie, what a pulse! Ninety! Then he questioned the man as to his care of us, but never a word of truth he got in reply. But we could not tell. "'Lead her out into the daylight,' Dr. Dick ordered, adding, "'Haven't you a lot or yard where all my horses can be turned out for a while?' The man demurred, but Master soon brought the landlord, and we were taken out into the sunlight. So busy was the former administering a dose of aconite to Queen that he did not at first notice me, but when he did an angry ejaculation escaped his lips as he pointed to my side. I was astonished, too, when I saw instead of my spotless coat a great yellow stain. "'Is that the kind of beds you provide?' he cried, turning to the landlord. "'I am sure there seemed to be clean straw in all the stalls,' the latter replied. "'I'll ask the man.' "'No need,' answered the doctor curtly. "'I am the one to blame for trusting any man to take care of these good servants who cannot speak for themselves.' It was almost noon before we started, and then the bays walked every step of the way. Just before leaving, the span of horses that came in after us the night before were brought out, one of them limping painfully. The owner unconcernedly seated himself in his buggy and took up the lines. The doctor spoke of the animal's lameness. "'Oh, that is nothing. Jerry is always lame when he first starts, and nearly all of the rest of the time for that matter,' he added, as if it were a good joke. "'Why don't you have the trouble investigated?' "'Oh, I don't know. Never thought much about it. He's an old horse.' And with this he drove off. Dr. Fred's first wife and her two boys were waiting to—but you can't understand what for yet. There were not so many railroads and lines of telegraph then, and no intimation of the news we brought had reached her. She cried and petted Dr. Dick as if he had been her own child. She put her arms about my neck and kissed me, too, making me think of other arms and other kisses. Ah, me! That Mrs. Fred was a lovely woman, more fit for Dr. Dick than his brother. The Wallaces lived in the small country village of K, and controlled a large practice. The brothers were ambitious, 
but had started poor, and not until the year before had they felt that either could spend a few months abroad. Fred was the elder, and there were other reasons why Dick preferred to go later, so it happened that the former was the last of the family for me to know. The Wallace barn was a large frame building, warm in winter, cool, from having perfect ventilation, in summer, and well-lighted. Dr. Dick would have no hay mowed to be dropped into the mangers, nor would he have it stored directly above us all. He insisted that the dust would inevitably sift down, and be the cause of various diseases of the eye, ear, throat, and lungs. He was particular about the stalls and feed-boxes, too. He said it was a shame for an animal with a low body and short neck to be expected to take any comfort eating from a box put up for a high horse with a long neck. He had each stall fitted up with reference to its occupant, nor would he allow us to be put where we did not belong. Queen and Julie were regular long, clean-limbed roadsters, and their feed-boxes were much higher than mine. I am of heavy build, with short legs and neck. The first time Dr. Fred looked me over, when Dr. Dick was absent, he remarked, "'A pretty horse for a doctor, slow and clumsy, no endurance.'" End of chapter 1. Read by Kara Schallenberg, www.kray.org, on Wednesday, January 15, 2014, in San Diego, California.